Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Pink Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. I'm Ian Wallace and I'm here with my co-host Douglas Shearer. Hi Ian. Um, I thought I'd cut the intro a bit short there. My brain stopped working. <laughs> We've got, got a few news items, a bit of follow-up and then we got a main topic to go into on uh, news and newsletters, funnily enough. So what's the first item we've got in here? Um, I think you stuck this stuff in. Yeah, so the first item the first week, few weeks ago, um, Nvidia had their um, European GTC. Conference. No, no, not European. It was the big GTC. Was it? Yeah, yeah, the one in California. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought it was Euro GTC. I thought that's. I suppose it makes sense given I watched it at the keynote in the evening. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so they announced a few new things that were quite exciting. The first of which was the Quadro GV100. Yeah, so that's that's a V100, but with um, GPU outputs basically. Uh, yeah, with GPU outputs, yeah. Yeah, and there's some software support for ray tracing or something. The interesting thing with this was there's 32 gigs of video RAM on it. Yeah, and then they, they bumped the V100 to 32 gigs as well. I wonder if this Quadro GV100 is effectively the production version of the V100s that were in the DGX station, because it, it was the only machine with v, V100s with display outputs in it. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it's the same. Yeah, the V100 and the Quadro GV100 are the same card with it outputs either on it or not on it also the quadro has cooling it's got yeah, fans active on it. cooling yeah yeah so they had water cooling on the djx station um and with this v100 it's kind of like it's an in-place replacement if you know what i mean so they've if you've got a djx wonder station in order it will come with the new v100 yeah and then they announced the djx2 as well which is a mad mad thing right you, yes it's got 16 of these v100 yeah. cars in it and then a crazy crazy interconnect like 20 times PCIe bandwidth, 300 gigabytes a second, which which is nuts. Like, it's absolutely nuts. The chips that do the interconnect are enormous processors in their own right. Yeah. Um, and then a pair of high-end Xeons, uh, what is it, one and a half terabytes of RAM, 30 yeah. terabytes of NVMe, etc. I mean, this is a big machine. Yeah. And was it 400,000 yeah, or something? Surprising. Yeah, it was like, yeah, three or four hundred thousand dollars. They did make a joke about it being only, you know, several million dollars. And then, you know, you know, oh no, that's a joke. It's only a few hundred grand. Um, it is uh, impressive value for money. Yeah, I mean, it's just mad, mad machine. Um, so do you think, do you think a V100 moving to 32 gig, do you think that's, for people who are on smaller number of these cards, perhaps in a machine in their lab or similar, um, do you think the bump in RAM is going to allow them to do new things, or do you think there's maybe not much call for 32 gig right now? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So, I mean, typically you want more RAM because it lets you use larger batch sizes, which then makes uh, networks that are a bit noisy, if you like, training before, makes them train better and converge. So you see a lot of, um, if you download some random state-of-the-art neural network code off GitHub and you try and train it, you'll typically find it's, been tuned to train on 11 or 12 gigs to fit either the Maxwell Titan X's, which were 12 gigs as were the successors, or 11 gigs because it's been done by some research in a lab with the 1080 Ti, which has 11 yeah. gigs. Um, I was kind of expecting, and this is something where I've been wrong, I was kind of expecting with the 24 gig quadros and above and the 16 gig V100s uh, and so on to start seeing the requirements um, go up and this becoming like a new standard for the big nets, but actually that hasn't happened. Okay. And I think the reason for that is this is if you've if you've got V one hundred money, if you're going big, you know, you go proper big, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, we trained on only two hundred and fifty six V one hundreds or whatever, right? Yeah, um, yeah. You don't actually scale up, you scale out and you go to massive clusters or multi GPUs. That seems to be more the trend these days, you know, training 
tuning on it, ResNet's on ImageNet in 20 minutes sort of thing. That's big clusters. It's not big GPUs. I've not really seen anything where people are exploiting the massive GPUs yet. That okay. said, um, for some of the network architectures that kind of scale with data size, like um, fully convolutional networks, um, where you're applying them to every pixel in an image and they can just scale up with the image size, there you will benefit from more RAM. You can process higher resolutions and so on. So, yeah, oddly not, I think, actually. Okay. Um, although... Maybe at some point when it becomes more commonplace, but I think yeah. people noodling around with crazy new stuff are still on 1080 ties. They're the most popular card at the moment, I would say, for that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a sort of um, bit of a Luddite fallacy. Some people might think that this might push the sort of approachability of um, AI deep learning work away from them if everyone starts doing research on 32 gig or bigger cards. But it sounds like people already had the option of 16 and 24 and weren't making use of it. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean it's, I mean there was some interesting tweets the other day by a few researchers that I was talking about how you know you get people, some people complaining about how it's, oh, it's not practical to do neural network research with like a massive cluster and a few million bucks a kit, um, and then someone else saying yeah, but all the recent breakthroughs are pretty much done with uh, pencil and paper. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Also, it wouldn't be pink out without some pink out news. I chucked in last minute the new Intel CPUs. Mobile 8th gens. Um, there's a few interesting things in here. I'll pull out some highlights. The Mobile i9, um, so that's six cores, uh, in, and the i9-8950HK. It's on lock chip. It's good for 5 gigahertz, apparently, which is pretty mad. Yeah. Six cores in a laptop. That's 45 watts. So these have already appealed, appeared. You can already buy them in the 15 and 17-inch Alienwares, and they come like out of the box good for 5 gigs, which is nuts. Perhaps more interesting... Uh, to you, because I know you use Max is the four core twenty eight watt parts with Iris Pro, so that's um thirteen inch MacBook Pro sort of CPUs. Yeah, yeah, the GPUs on those is quite beefy. It's like beefier than the forty five watt class um, CPUs that i nine you talked about earlier. Yeah, but I mean, who's getting a six core i nine in their laptop that hasn't got a separate GPU in there? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, bit of follow up on uh, ARM PCs. So people are releasing kit to prove us wrong in a lot of speculation. You can now buy a workstation. With uh, our, but it's, it's not really a workstation, is it? I mean, do you want to explain what this is? I would describe it as it's like a, a development kit for some of the ARM sort of server setups you get at the moment. It's a Cavium Thunder X2 that's inside it, which is ex- the CPU that sort of most people expect will be the first sort of commercially successful ARM server CPU. Yeah, I mean, someone's put a 4U server box on its side, stuck some feet on it, and called it a workstation. That's what's happened here. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It depends on what the, 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 it's actually. I would doubt it's actually that quiet or that nice to have as a workstation. But it's, it's interesting to see it in this form factor. And you know, I, I, I'd quite like a shot one. I'd quite like to run some of my work on it to see what it's like. Yeah, yeah. and then related to that, I guess is uh, well, and an item of anecdata here: the CEO of Cloudflare posting a, a picture of um, two watt meters attached to a Xeon and a. Qualcomm centric arm machine and showing the power draw being 50 odd watts less in fact 80 watts less yeah um which meaningful power draw and they're moving their talking about moving their stuff to arms so that's, that's an interesting data point there yeah i mean it makes sense someone like cloudflare they, a lot of their works io um and you can usually move io away from sort of being pure cpu workload and um yeah arms a great fit for that stuff i mean if this is saving them 50 yeah sorry like about a third of their, their wattage on a single server, and they've got like probably tens of thousands of servers. That's a lot of money, like per day. It yeah. makes, makes real sense for them. Uh, and, and then this next news item, I don't know if you saw this, someone 
made Western Digital made an SD card with a PCI Express X1 interface, which I think is just a it's not at all standard or anything, and it's they've got it like made an adapter which plugs into an M2 socket that then takes this SD card. <laughs> but it's an SD card that does 880 megabytes a second, which is pretty nuts. So what's the what's the use case for this? Well, to show that they can. But I wondered if like this made me think of um, you know, if things start implementing the standard, right? So I might well, I guess 4K and 8K cameras, right? You still want to use an SD card, so being able to yeah. write, yeah, do 800 megs a second useful. Um, but imagine if this starts becoming popular. I wonder if you see. Do you remember ages ago you used to get um, mostly compact flash cards with, but they weren't storage cards, right? You get. I remember for compact iPads, if you've ever used one of them, going back back in the day um you'd get a compact flash card that had a wi-fi radio in it that you plugged in that's how you added, ah, yeah, added yeah. wi-fi to it i've actually got one of those cards i've got like a hp pocket pc in the cupboard i should look it out and take some photographs of it it's got like a folding keyboard and stuff and it's got one of those wi-fi cards that's a compact flash card yeah so i wonder if we get this as an sd format we'll be able to add in more interesting peripherals and storage to the devices that's big interesting thought yeah your point um, about camera cameras there maybe want still want these um sd cards sort of high-end um digital cinema cameras you just lots of them you just plug an ssd into like a two and a half inch yeah. form factor ssd although some of them are proprietary for reasons yeah but I'm, I'm now thinking about sd card format neural network accelerator to plug into the device that would be interesting <laughs> um once there's some kind of a google doing some interesting computer vision stuff you've put in uh this google project do you want to talk about that yeah so this is a project from google i think it's from google research and um, called nusperly k-n-u-s-p-e-r-l-i yeah i was just letting you jump on that grenade for me <laughs> <laughs> at the very bottom it does say that this is not an officially supported google product but it's obviously something they've put out with research because they feel it's interesting it'd be interesting to see if it makes it into google chrome and um, what it is is a de-blocking jpeg decoder so when it's decoding a jpeg it looks for areas that are blocky caused by sort of over compression during the encode process and it makes its best effort to sort of smooth those areas out and make the image look continuous in those areas yeah it's quite a cool thing it's available on github there's a command line tool that outputs pngs and you can look at them i'm not sure how useful this is to people but it's yeah, and another example of Google doing work in the sort of area of image compression where everybody gets a benefit from it. Yeah, it's interesting. I might have a look at that for some of my work stuff. Um, final sort of news item here. Uh, I've just, uh, I'll maybe just go. Have, have you seen this? I like you click on this. It's um, kind of medical imagery meets neural networks. Do I need to look at the paper? Uh, well, can you guess what it's doing from the title? Do you want to describe what it is? So it's end-to-end deep image reconstruction from human brain activity. So I guess it's trying to figure out what you're thinking about or looking at. Right, okay. So I'll, I'll give you a very brief summary. Yeah, okay. So you're familiar with GANs, generative adversarial networks that generate images of things from some input in a latent space. Yes. Yeah, okay. So latent space is just like the input space. Um, now, what they've done here is they have trained... Uh, GAN on input where the, the the mapping if you like the input is fMRI data and the output is the picture that the person was looking at when they had the scan right mm. and then so the idea is you then scan someone's brain and the neural network draws a picture of what the person is looking at okay or thinking of mm. that is insane right yeah, I mean, like, t- terrifying, okay, maybe from a sort of security perspective, but, like... It's kind of mind-reading, right? 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like the, a useful application I can think of is, is um, perhaps patients who are, you know, paralysed or like uh, deaf blind or you know some other sort of yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots disability. of disability. There's lots of great, and I mean, I think it's like, I mean, if I was to write a sort of clickbaity headline, it would be like it's the AI hallucinating what you're dreaming about, sort of thing. Mm. It's, it's, it's quite uh, interesting and uh, mad. Like you can see, like if you look, if you skip through the paper, you'll see like it's not. <laughs> it's by no means perfect. Like if you. Uh, if you click through the paper, you can skip through to the pictures and see they've got like subject one, subject two, subject three, and then what image they were presented with. If you look down to page, what page is this page? Well, it's labeled as page 14, figure yeah. three. And then, yeah, you have some examples on page 15. So like, it's it's, it's pretty, um, you can kind of tell what it is though, right? It's not mad, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it, it's really impressive at the moment, it's not scaring me, but I can definitely see they're onto something. Yeah, I know it's mad, right? I think I think it's cool. Um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting, interesting thing. So I think we should go into our main topic now. We thought we'd pick pick us an idea. You'd put something about newsletters in here, but I thought maybe instead we could uh, each pick a few newsletters that we recommend. So email newsletters that you can subscribe to, and then just explain, you know, what why. Why should anyone listening subscribe to this newsletter? So, and maybe do this by way of example. So, say a bit about the newsletter. Um, pick out an interesting article from from the most recent uh, the most recent uh, edition. That's kind of like a and here's a sort of typical example of the sort of thing you read in this newsletter. And here's why you should subscribe. Yeah, that sounds like a good topic. Yep, that sounds good. Um, how do you want to do this? Shall we alternate suggestions? Alternate, yeah. So you go first. Uh, okay. Um, so the first one I'd pick, and I recommended this to a few people, it's the Wild Week in AI newsletter. And this is by a guy called Denny Britz. Uh, he used to work for the, on the Google Brain team, uh, previously at Stanford and so on. So kind of a deep learning scientist, I would say. Yeah. Yep. And typically, like the, the, there's a sort of set format for the newsletter. There's always a bit of news, a bit on sort of posts, articles, and tutorials, some on code that's been released and some a kind of curated list of uh, research papers. So as a kind of typical example, I pulled out a news item from the most recent one, which is about uh, JupyterLab being ready. Um, and what this is, is it's the replacement for Jupyter Notebooks. Um, I don't yep. know if, do you know, know Jupyter Notebooks? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, how would you describe it? Um, it's kind of like a, like a, a sandbox. Like I've used it as like a desktop sandbox for doing like not so much AI stuff, but like sort of statistical stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a bit like if anyone's ever used MATLAB and the GUI for MATLAB, it's a bit like that, but it runs runs in a web browser. So the back end is just a web server. It gives you uh, a terminal, it gives you a file browser, and then it gives you uh, access to it. Normally, um, back when it was IPython, IPython notebooks might be familiar with people, it was an interactive environment to execute Python or language of choice, normally interpreted languages. And you can, you know, you can execute them in place, you can generate figures from them and so on. So you... And then you can save them. So you can load up a notebook that someone else has given you and you can see the results of the computations and you can modify them and run them yourself. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's also really nice when you're working on a remote machine because it's kind of a quick way to get yourself the sort of GUI, right? You can, you've just got a terminal interface, you start up an IPython notebook or a JupyterLab notebook and then you get an interface you can hit on a web browser and start start editing the code, which is really cool. And JupyterLab is the new version of it. So it's, it's a bit nicer, it's nicer layout stuff it's yeah a bit more 
functionality. This is a really nice article on it actually. Um, and I pulled this out as this is kind of like a sort of this is kind of practically useful news for the AI practitioner or whatever. So that's why it's here. Um, although this is more of a kind of um, interesting article. I mean, really, the main reason to read Wild Week is for the curated list of research papers. Um, he does a really great job of pulling out interesting new papers that are either preprints or have been published and gives you a little summary of the paper as to why you should read it. So that's kind of the real reason to read this one. Um, yeah. That, that would be my first recommendation. I mean, although the news is interesting and a bit more approachable, but it's <laughs> saying it is good for the research papers. It's kind of a bit saying I read Playboy for the articles sort of thing. Um, the other the other stuff catches your eye, but the uh, the research papers are the are the real value there. I think. Yeah. So, what, cool. What's your first one then? So my first one is a newsletter called Last Week in AWS, and it's done by a guy called Corey Quinn. Um, he specialises in reducing people's AWS bills, which is a great business to be in. You know, lots of companies have big AWS bills, and once you get past doing the obvious stuff, what do you do after that? Well, he helps you with that. He also runs this newsletter. And it's it serves a bunch of purposes. You get it once a week. Um, the first thing it does is it provides a sort of condensed version of all the announcements uh, that Amazon have in their own AWS blog, usually in a bit of a, a nicer way, um, because Amazon announced a lot of stuff every week. Like They're always pumping stuff out, especially this week, because they had this sort of mini conference thing so all sorts of new things were announced um the second thing it has is it has like community articles what people are doing with aws products you know problems they've worked around in aws products then it also has like a tools section where he promotes people's open source tools for working around issues in aws i mean lots of working with aws is figuring out what the issues are and working around them and this is a really good way to find out what other people are doing um there's quite a lot of I would say snark in these newsletters. I'm, I'm like, just looking at it now. I quite like it. I was like, where's the archive for this? And ah, it's that link that says archive at the top. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't hide from it at all, and it's it's really well written. The content's really good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm is... just reading one of these. It's like Paul Johnson of AWS opines on why Lambda and .zip files are a recipe for success. He's obviously a show for big WinZip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean. Like, some weeks I feel like this newsletter uh, um, is like a third of our podcast, because this is where, this is how I find out about AWS things. I often find I don't read the Amazon emails, in fact I should unsubscribe from them. I get it from here in, instead in a much better format. This I does really look recommend really, this. Yeah, it looks really, it looks really cool actually, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, okay, so I guess uh, my next one is another AI one, and it's the Import AI Newsletter by Jack Clark. So Jack Clark's currently at OpenAI. He's the strategy and comms director there. Uh, he was a reporter at Bloomberg uh, and at the Register. Um, so this is kind of AI, but not from a practitioner point of view. Um, it's more for it's more about the news and the effects it's having on the world. So about the implications. It's kind of more, if you like, soft commentary um, about the effects that AI is having places. But it's very well informed. So I think it's quite good for this. It's, Definitely more newsy. I mean, there's occasional like uh, new papers and new research is highlighted, but way less so, and then less of an academic fashion than the Wild Week. Um, so, as an example of a link from the most recent one, is I pulled out there's a selection of links on Chinese applications of AI, and this particular one is they're running facial recognition recognition systems to send jaywalkers finds and text messages. So, if you cross the road in the wrong place in 
certain Chinese cities, you will get a text message with personal information about you, a photo of you crossing the wrong at the wrong place, and uh, telling you you've got a fine. Yeah. And that that's pretty crazy. I mean, the scale and scope that the Chinese are rolling out AI systems to monitor all their citizens. I mean, it's very, very black mirror. Um, it's, yeah, but I mean, this is it, this is interesting. And you kind of, in the newsletter, kind of likes to pull these things together into themes. So you'll get a bunch of Chinese news here. So you've also got um, Sense Times Big Rays um, and things like this and talking about China's strategic technology initiatives and the history there. So it's, it's a really nice newsletter for how AI is affecting the world. Yeah, so that's kind of my second recommendation. Cool. So my, my second recommendation is actually not dissimilar to this in the terms that it's kind of... Um, it's a sort of soft, it's about soft tech, tech topics rather than hard tech talk, topics. Well, I'm trying to say that right. It's um, Stratechery by Ben Thompson. Um, is it Stratechery or Stratechery? I don't know, but Siri's decided they want it likes that word. <laughs> so, plus one for recommendation from Siri. Like you have an app named Taking a Baby. Like, <laughs> I can help you look for it on the App Store. <laughs> Good work, Siri. Okay, Taking a Baby is what I'm looking for. Yeah. So, uh, th- so my second recommendation is Stratechery by Ben Thompson. Uh, ben Thompson quite often appears on John Gruber's The Talk Show. Uh, he's got some really in- interesting insights into the technology space, especially around the sort of bigger companies like um, like Apple or Google or sort of general, um, you know, the, the big companies of the internet and tech. Um, it's a paid newsletter. I think it's $5 a year or something. It's, it, whatever it is, it's not much money. And he releases one free issue a week or one free article a week. Um, he has some super interesting stuff. One that would caught my eye was a, a couple, like two weeks ago. Was it, he calls it Stratechery 4.0. Um, and it's a, basically him redesigning the business or the stages he's gone through in redesigning the business in the newsletter around what people actually wanted and around sort of different topics that were sort of interesting or not interesting. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here. Tech, media... Um, sort of ec- economics um, sort of even softer things like talking about actual people and how they interact with each other in terms of um, um, ongoing stuff in tech yeah I, I really recommend it it's a, it's a good read I mean lots of it is stuff that I never touch especially not these days but it, it's worth finding out about these things okay cool um, so I've got my third and final one I mean it's a newsletter a lot of people have Especially if you're living to this, listening to this podcast, you might have heard of it, and it's Benedict, Benedict Evans's newsletter. Um, so he's currently our partner at Anderson Horowitz um, VC firm in the Valley, and but for a long time he's been a mobile analyst, um, mostly in the UK now in the US. And his newsletter is kind of commenting on tech news, but more from a kind of businessy angle. But what really makes it is his commentary on links, like and what what does it mean. So here, yeah. so you'll basically you'll give a link with a one or two sentence summary, and you'll say, you know, what does this mean? So the example I've pulled out is this news about Microsoft reorganizing their company. So they're putting Azure and AI stuff in a sort of cloud and platforms with Windows Server, and then they're bundling like UI, Windows, Office three six five into a sort of separate group. Um, and then so his commentary here is, amongst other things, this makes it clear that Windows and Office are the legacy business. The fact that it also means legacy services and future services are opaquely merged into the same reporting line is probably pure coincidence. I mean, it's, yeah, this is, like, it's his commentary on links, so that kind of, you kind of think, oh, that's an interesting take. I wonder why he's drawn these conclusions. Click the link and see, and kind of draw your own. Yeah. I think that's a really nice way of 
presenting it. So if you think of like my first recommendation is quite hardcore academia on AI and stuff. The second one is was um, commenting on like what are the implications of AI and how is this affecting the world. And this is kind of like how our, mostly how our business is changing. It's very kind of slightly business focused. But then he also yeah. does like a interesting blog post he's read elsewhere. Just very brief one sentence. What's it about? Go read it. Um, and then kind of cool things of the week, which are often quite interesting. And then he picks out some interesting statistics. And this is always quite interesting for uh, learning about the world. So I mean, from the latest start, latest edition, it says there are now probably close to 500 million mobile internet users in India. It's presented without comment. Here's a number. And that, that's just uh, yeah. I just I just find it interesting. I always learn something. It's quite yeah. a quick and easy read. Um, so. Ben, um, a couple of years ago, I went through a thing of like calling the number of people I followed on Twitter just to remove negativity and you know a few other things i wasn't interested in anymore and um, benedict evans is one of the people that posts a lot that i actually follow because he's got really interesting posts and has really um intelligent discussions with other people and he's also quite good at replying if you've got something to say to him yeah i will say if he retweets you your twitter mentions will blow up like yeah. that, that happened to me about uh, apple and ai stuff and, well in fact that's the reason we started this podcast yeah um, okay so what's your third and final recommendation so my last one, I decided to cheat a little bit and choose something that isn't a newsletter. Has it got an RSS feed at least? It turns out they do have a newsletter. Okay. So it was saved in the but end. Literally um, right at the side there, get the best newsletter. Okay, what is this? Tell me. So this is uh, stackshare.io. It's not run by a single person, it's a group. And it ostensibly it's a website where sort of Silicon Valley type companies or companies in the sort of startups in the tech space can post all the tools they're using. That bit's not so interesting for me. What they do is they have posts and featured posts where they actually have interviews with the people who run these websites. They talk about the tools they use. You get to find out what they are and you can you know go to GitHub and see them or, you know, they may be secret tools. You don't get to see them. But it's interesting anyway. One of the sort of first times I ever found it really interesting and it's still an article I really like was they had a, a post about Instacart who are a Silicon Valley startup who do food deliveries um, I think last week they closed or Monday or last week I think it was like another massive funding round which kind of doesn't make sense to me because they're competing with Amazon but anyway um, yeah they deliver food to your house and they had a post in back in oh man this is 2014 nearly yeah three and a bit years ago um, about the tools and such that they used and like there's just lots of interesting little tidbits in here like this is how I found out about a tool I use a lot called Blazor which is like a it's a Rails, it's like a plugin for Ruby on Rails applications that lets you just get a console to um, write SQL queries and then generate um, dashboards and charts and get CSVs and things straight out of it without writing any real code apart from the SQL um, it's one of the most it's one of the most useful things I've ever, ever used that I found out found out about by accident. And that's sort of, like, the overall thing with newsletters is even if I don't read them every week, I do find it's a good way to be exposed to information you might otherwise not see. Yeah, because it's someone else's opinions, right? Someone else it's someone else's it. opinions, and they've gathered stuff together, and eventually you figure out who's good at gathering stuff together that might be relevant to you and it doesn't need to always be relevant to you but actually exposing yourself to these things is really useful rather than spending hours looking at twitter or you know news sites or such like i really I think, like newsletters as a way of getting information i think it's like it's the curation right if you get something that curates well so like i mean for example if if, if you're sitting there thinking oh i'm interested in ai i should read more papers i would say an easy way to do that subscribe to the, my first recommendation the wild week there'll be three or four a week just pick one of them and read it. 
and yeah. that's an easy way no 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 brainer just pick the first one whatever right and yeah it's this element of curation is i think what makes a good newsletter and like you say it makes you read things that you wouldn't or at least at least read someone else's summary of it which makes you think about ideas that you wouldn't think about normally yeah exposure seems to be is that like the curation and then exposure is the other important thing because yeah you know, you're not going to see everything yeah i mean so hopefully we've got some good recommendations there for folk i mean certainly i'm going to go and check out some of yours because they sound super interesting even if it's not stuff that i do in my day-to-day i feel it would uh, behoove me to know about them a bit more okay so i think that's um everything for this episode thanks for listening to pin count show notes are online at pincountpodcast.com you can find me on Twitter at at Douglas F. Shearer and you can find Ian on Twitter at at the underscore accidental. You can follow the show at at Pincount Podcast. Okay, so for the after show, I've got like three YouTube videos here, but they're quite long, so I don't know if I should make you watch them or not, but then we record for a while, so I don't know if, yeah... Do you want to quickly summarise them and then I can look through? Because yeah, or, or is there points in the videos I can go to? <laughs> you can you kind of just have to watch them. There's um, <laughs> there's just this guy. Okay, I'll explain what it is, and we'll just leave them, dump them in the show notes, and then we'll leave it for people. To, people can do their own after show homework, right? Yeah. So it's this guy up as not jump on YouTube, and he's a physics teacher, I believe. But anyway, he's done this. He's done a whole load of uh, machinima. Uh, a while ago but anyway he's done a recent relatively recent series on kind of reviewing vr games right okay so the first one of these i saw is entitled elite dangerous vr is an absolute nightmare this is why um and then he's got another one which is fallout 4 vr is an absolute nightmare this is why and then fallout 4 vr is not an absolute nightmare this is why and it's kind of um in the same way that you can read a film critic reviewing a film that they really love, but they're criticizing it, right? This is kind of the same thing. It's really intelligent, informed criticism of what makes the game good and not good. Basically, I watched these three videos and then immediately found myself looking for HTC Vives and a new gaming PC. So watch at peril, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's just leave it like that and then maybe we can comment on them next time or something. People on Twitter were like retweeting pictures of sheep into my timeline are sheep and goats and it came from someone posting um, uh, Janelle Shane she's called um, does anyone have a picture of a sh- of sheep in a really unusual place? This is pretty <laughs> specialist interest Twitter. <laughs> it's for pranking a neural network and she got lots of replies and they sort of yeah managed to prank the neural network so someone wrapped it up as a blog post of some of the images um, I don't know if they actually did manage to prank the neural net but then the paper this was related to the paper is called An AI System to Diagnose Pain Levels in Sheep and it looks at pictures of sheep figures out how much pain the sheep's in yeah it's okay. odd <laughs> this there's is a lot of sheep this is bizarre <laughs> I, I think we should just finish on sheep oh no wait wait what, one more thing should we shift this the after yeah show? one more thing I think we're going to have to do it we're going to do one more thing okay Last week, um, Amazon tra- uh, Amazon Transcribe became generally available. Amazon Transcribe is Amazon's. This is kind of a news topic. I've realised uh, uh, audio speech to text um, service. Um, so I thought, great, we've wanted to get the transcripts for our podcast for quite a while. I'll run an episode through and see what happens. Right now, before we go into this, I think <laughs> the only way to do this is so. Doug has sent me a screenshot of what Amazon Transcribe state-of-the-art um, neural machine tran- transcription service has come up with. And the way it's arranged, it's a bit like a script. So it says speaker one, speaker zero, 
speaker zero, speaker one, speaker zero. Um, and I think the only way to explain this and what we can finish this episode on is we'll have to read this out. I'll be speaker one, you can be speaker zero, and we'll try and get through this without um, dying of laughter or wetting ourselves. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. Um, um, we might, by the time we get to the last bit, I think we might just have to skip it because it's quite long, but I think people will get the idea. Oh, it's pretty funny. I think we just need to play through it. This was the, the last one. It's episode 27. Episode 27. Okay, so if you've not listened, here's a sneak preview. Welcome to Ben. Can the podcast very good deep into the tag? <laughs> I'm digging a shit. <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Ian Wallace. Hi, right. So what we got this week? I think we started some follow-up from last episode. Yes, the last episode. <laughs> We're looking at some benchmarks for the Titan V and a few 100. And someone had benchmarks with two are benchmarked against each other. We didn't understand some of the results and the V100 came out slightly far starting the Titan of you. <laughs> we didn't understand why. So we both their research after the short terms IQ 100 extra men. <laughs> Many bandwidth has more federal headroom to play with and a bunch of other small things that make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 